Good morning, everyone. Glad you're here this morning. Glad we get to talk about freedom. I cannot imagine that as we talk of this subject matter that many of us have difficulty, I think, appreciating it at the level in which others who have gone through a form of bondageness, bondageness, my English, being a slave or in bondage to someone else would have a very different way of looking at this concept of freedom, right? And so it's hard to truly appreciate freedom unless you've experienced bondage, right? And when we're talking about this concept of bondage, I think to some level we all have a sense in which we're like, I can kind of relate to this, right? Whether it's an emotional bondage, something's going on, and, and from a standpoint of your feelings, you just feel weighed down, chained, if you will. Or it could be beyond that, a financial bondage that you feel absolutely without any hope because of your finances. And if not that, then maybe it's just from a relationship. No matter what the bondage is, you might have a sense in which you can relate to the concept. But again, unless you've actually gone through actual bondage, it's very difficult, right? Very difficult to understand. You ask those who have gone through slavery. You ask, ask those who have been kidnapped. Or some other type of literal bondage, and when they're freed from it, those who are incarcerated, look at the joy that they have. In many cases, it may not be the case in every single person's point of view, but, but by and large, ask those who have gone through actual bondage of some sort. And when they're free, they're ever grateful. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. And this short point is going to help us understand why this is so important. This aspect is so important, right? And so when we're looking at it, there's one thing, though, we can all agree to at least from a biblical standpoint, whether we realize it or not, whether we feel it or not, the truth is there, that we have a bondage by which we're all, well, all relate to. I want to open up and read in Hebrews chapter 2, and I want you to read this text with me. It goes along the lines of what we just read in Galatians chapter 4 by David, and we're going to reread that passage to close so we get some sense of what the gospel is about when we're talking about this this view of being in bondage. So Hebrews chapter 2, reading the verses 14 following, notice what the writer says. He says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he likewise, or he himself likewise, partook of the same things, that through death he, that is speaking of Jesus, might destroy the one who is power over, the de over death that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That's the picture of what it's like when you are in bondage to sin. 
you're locking onto a slave. And there's no hope for you. It's a lifelong fate of yours to live in this state of bondage, this state of slavery. And if we had gone through and read the first two chapters, uh, the beginning of the first two uh, chapters of what we call the book of Hebrews, we could see the reason why the writer is coming to this very point of what it's like. Because he's saying that because of sin, we are held in the grasp, in the chains of death. And there's no way of overcoming it. But Jesus, who came in the likeness of man, took on that death, if you will, experienced death so that we would be freed from that bondage. And so he suffered so that we would not have to suffer any longer. That's the picture that is given when we're talking about this concept of being in bondage. Well, that's where the gospel comes in, right? So as we've been reading and studying through the scriptures in the Old Testament, I hope for those that are involved in the Old Testament scripture, we can see this prelude to the gospel message. In fact, all the times that we've been um, studying and discussing God's judgment, every single time there's been something at the end of judgment, on the backside of judgment, and we see hope. We'll see it again when we get to the book of Nahum. By the way, Nahum, or no, what, what is it? Micah, Micah, Micah. that's it. That's what we're going to study next, Micah, then Nahum. <laughs> and so... We'll, even when we get into Micah, we'll see that to be the case. You'll see judgment coming upon the people of Israel, but on the backside of that judgment is his mercy and his salvation, his deliverance from that bondage. And that's exactly what we're looking at, right? When we read the scriptures, we can see that. From the very beginning, even if it's not dealing with the concept of bondage, there's this picture of death, right? In the day that you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. So there is a glimpse of this sense of bondage. But particularly when you get to the book of, of Exodus, what we read of is this people of God who had, had moved down into Egypt because of circumstances. And by and large, they stayed there about 400 years. And during that time, they became enslaved to the Egyptians. And while they cried out to God, asking for deliverance, God came upon them and with a strong and mighty arm gave them that deliverance. And when you read Exodus, right, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Joshua, here's the picture of that bondage and being delivered from it, where they're able to go into that promised land. That's the picture of where God's people are able to leave this state of bondage and come into freedom. That's the story of the Bible. That's the that's gospel message right there, right? Even if it's in shadowy terms. And when we read further into the scriptures, we can see that even when God's people, while they had been freed from Egyptian slavery, they themselves, because of sin, were warned time and time again that if they continued in their sin, they'd go back into bondage. And that's why they went into Assyrian and Babylonian captivity. And once they had come back from that Babylonian captivity, they learned. They learned that they need to put their trust in God, and with their trust in God and living the way God wants them to live, they could ultimately have their freedom. But alas, Scripture tells us with man, we continue to sin, right? For a variety of reasons that we were mentioning this morning that brings about maybe this loneliness, this idea of, of hopelessness. And so we need our God. 
and when we had, when David was reading in Galatians chapter 4, he's telling us a story, in, Paul is, to the churches in Galatia, of this very concept of what bondage looks like and why the gospel message is so, so very important to us and for us that we share it with others. Now, I want to read again in Galatians chapter 4, and I want to read to you what's being said and why this is so crucial to the message of the gospel. And we get to see then the, the reason why bondage is used all throughout the scriptures in the way that it is dealing with salvation, at least on the backside of what we call salvation or God's judgment. So Galatians chapter 4, right? Chapter 4 is based upon the fact that he's been talking of the law and how no one can be justified through the law, but only through the promise can a person be justified. And so that's the mindset. That's what he's been talking about. And with that in mind, he says this. I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Okay? Keep in mind how the word children is used throughout the New Testament scriptures. And here's how he's using it again when he writes to the churches in Galatia. A child, as, even if he is an heir, is no different from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. He is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That picture that he's referring to, the Jews no doubt would understand this concept of bondage and going back to all these Old Testament passages where the Israelites had been under bondage. That would be the obvious thing to do. And you know, when you are objective about things, you can accept the realities of what life has been like. But sometimes we forget as people. We forget our past. We forget where we've come, come from. And sometimes even hard to admit our past. For instance, when Jesus was referring to this concept of bondage, he was actually talking in the midst of a number of people who actually believed in him. And said some words that they didn't want to hear. So if you go back to the Gospel of John and read chapter 8. If you remember in, in John chapter 8, very, let me see if I can go, go over to John chapter 8. There's a passage where there's this woman who was brought before Jesus in the temple. As Jesus was teaching in the temple. And these men, scribes and Pharisees, brought this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they were using her as a pawn, right, to test Jesus, to trap him in his words as to what he might say so they would, they would have a charge against him. And, of course, 
the rest of the story is, whereupon he's writing on the ground and, and they're continuing their um, adamant um, pressure on Jesus to say something about the situation. And of course, then Jesus says very quietly, he who is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. These individuals were convicted by those very words and one by one they left until there was no one left. And when Jesus looked up, he saw the woman and he asks her, where are your accusers? He says, there are none. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. It is with that in mind as the backdrop to this situation here where he's now talking and teaching the rest of those who are at the temple that he says these words. I'm going to read for, um, for us in the passage here. Verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, the people at the temple, right? Spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light of life. And so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said, where's your father? And Jesus answered, he said, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And so he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. And so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world I am not of this world. And I told you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. And so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now let those words sink in what he just said. There are many that are discounting him, questioning him, have everything against him. But when he had said these words, many believed in him. And so here's Jesus' response to them 
In verse 31, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So very, very clear. These people have a history. And while they themselves may not have been under Egyptian bondage, let alone been enslaved or in captivity, I should say, if I can use that word in a loose way of, of being in bondage. They may not have experienced that, but guess what? They were experiencing. They were experiencing the Roman takeover. <laughs> they were experiencing not having the freedom, the full freedom that they enjoyed when they had entered the promised land as God had given to Abraham. They'd forgotten where they came from. And when Jesus was talking to them about being in bondage, they had this literal concept in their mind. And what Jesus had in mind was their lives being in bondage to sin. And so it becomes very explicit to them. And what is true then of the first century is also true of many who are believers in the Lord today who hold the same form of self-righteousness that these Jews did in the first century. The very ones that Jesus is condemning, they cannot imagine why they're being condemned. And Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Well, obviously, for many of us, we're, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? But Jesus goes beyond just the fact that he is the Christ because he says that those who continue to sin will be slaves as such. And when you're slaves, you're not an heir. You're not an adopted son. And so he makes it very clear as he says in verse 36, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But the son only sets you free when you believe that he is, the Christ that is, and that you follow him, that you're disciples of him. That's obvious in the teaching here. And this is what he was referring to when he was speaking to the woman, when he says to the woman, Go and sin no more. So focus in on that text again. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. And so if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. That's how he closes this, this conversation with them before going on. And it is the very concept that helps us to understand what Jesus meant and how it's important for us when we read the, the rest of the scriptures and look at the gospel message of what it means to be in bondage and why we're in bondage and what it means to be free and the ramifications of being free. So look at these passages. There's, there's a number of others we could be looking at, a number of passages. Here's this woman, right? She's worthy of death because she's guilty of sin. Just as the man who was not brought there, 
guilty because of sin. The law was they would, she would be stoned to death. The man would be stoned to death as likewise. But he says, where are your accusers? She says, they all left. He could have easily upheld the law and ensured that she would be put to death by virtue of justice. He could have taken her with the others that were wanting to condemn him and her and basically is saying, I neither condemn you. And if I can add and paraphrase, he says, but go and sin no more. Because if you're going to be freed from this bondage that she no doubt would have been a part of in this, because of her sins, she's now been freed from it. What does he want her to do? He wants her to follow him. He wants her to be his disciple. He wants her to live the way he lives. And no doubt... If she became a disciple of Jesus, she would. She would learn to live the way he does and, and be free from the bondage of sin. Well, that's the same message for us, right? If the Son of God frees us, we are free indeed. But that means that we live a life consistent to freedom. And that's why there's passages that talk about us being free in Christ. That we're no longer slaves to sin. Just read, read Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8. Those three chapters of, of the letter that Paul writes to the church at Rome is exactly dealing with this very concept. And so when we read Galatians, not Galatians, but Romans chapter 6. In fact, I'm, I'm going to read, read it twice. I want you to follow with me in Romans 6 and we'll come back to that text again. So remember, as the last few weeks, we're talking about those who have been crucified with Christ in the burial of his death and been raised like Christ to walk in newness of life because we've been resurrected from the dead. That's the picture. You're in bondage and you put to death that man that was in bondage to sin. And now you've been freed in Christ Jesus. But look at what that means in Romans chapter 6. He says in verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. That's what it means to be a, just a disciple of Jesus. From the heart, you obey that form of doctrine to which you have been delivered. That form of teaching that you've been delivered to is a bondage to righteousness because you're free from sin. So you're slaves to one or the other, he's saying. Either you're a slave to righteousness or a slave to sin. A slave to God, a servant to God or of God or to Christ or of Christ. Or you're a slave to sin or of Satan or of the devil, however you want to word that. 
He makes it obviously clear as he talks about that. And that is why in chapter 7 he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me? Who's going to save me from this bondage that I'm in? Right? That's what he says in the end because he's going back and forth. You know, I want to do good. I do evil. I don't want to do evil. And I, I, who's going to deliver me? This body's in bondage. And that is why the very last words of what we call chapter 7 is, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. But what happens? What happens is, he says in verse 1 of chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law has been done away with, particularly the law of sin. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For what God has done, or for, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What is this law that we are supposed to walk according to? It's a law that is really no law. Does that make sense to you? If you said no, I can understand why. (laughs) You see, when you walk according to the way God wants, there is no law that condemns you. So from the standpoint that there is no law, that's what he's saying. But there is a law, the law of life, the law of being in Christ. And that is why you have a passage like Galatians chapter 5. When he contrasts those who walk according to the flesh and those who walk according to the spirit... One walks according to the law of sin. The other walks according to the law of the spirit or the law of life. And that's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8. And he says the same thing in just very different ways to the churches in Galatia. And so I want want you to read this passage one more time. Galatians chapter 5. You've read it many times. You've heard it preached many times. But I want you to have this passage read and seared into your mind what the law that those of us who have been freed from sin are bound to, okay? So Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to begin in verse, verse 16. I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the spirit of the flesh are against the Spirit. Or the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these oppose each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Hold on to that thought and add this parentheses, if you will. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. And I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. On the other hand, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such, 
There is no law. Remember, law is that which takes advantage of our desires and condemns us and puts us in a place of bondage because of our sins. But when you live this way, when you live like God, when you're a disciple of Jesus, there's no law that can condemn you, right? Again, if you, if you read in verse 18, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And those who practice such things as the fruit of the Spirit, against such there is no law. And again, in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because you don't walk according to the flesh or the law of sin, but instead you walk according to Christ, the law of life. So when Jesus was telling that woman, go and sin no more, what he's wanting for her to have is life and have it abundantly so that she'd be free from the bondage of sin. And it's in a very literal sense, right, when she was committing the act of adultery and was caught, that justice would have demanded that she would be guilty of such and would be condemned justly for sin. But God steps in while we are sinners and while we are enemies of his and dies on our behalf so that those who would believe on him would not only believe on him, but follow after him. Think about it. When this morning, when Brad was talking about how there are those who wanted to, to leave everything behind, they had value in what they're going after. And that value was what Jesus Christ offered through his blood. That he was, that's what he was teaching them. That they would have lives changed. Lives where they went from living like that old man to something that looks more and more and more like God. That's the life that we see transformed through his apostles. When we're talking about his apostles, remember the sons of thunder, right? James and John. John, in his gospels, more than any other, knew that bondage and knew how he had been set free. And that is why he says, love one another. I don't know if you got Facebook had something floating around early this morning or last night. I don't know. I love one another. All these Bible passages in the Gospel of John and 1 John. That's a picture. Jesus wants us to go and sin no more. And as his disciples, if we're truly his disciples, we who have been freed from the bondage of sin should do just that. Prove ourselves as disciples. And if we prove ourselves as, as disciples, that means we're free from the bond of sin. But what are we? We're in bondage to righteousness. Not as a great burden. I mean, what kind of burden is being loving and kind and patient and long-suffering? It's only a burden when, when the flesh gets involved. Think about it. And so the gospel message of this concept of being free indeed is very clear. The question is, what do we do when we leave this room? What do we do when we go back to our family, to our wives and our children and our brothers and sisters, our parents? 
to the workplace, our neighbors, whatever venue of life we're a part of, how does it reflect that we are truly free indeed? Because if we're free, there's no law that condemns us. If we're free, we live in righteousness as patterned, as lived out by the Son of God who came to show us that he always pleases the Father. That's our desire. And I pray that that's yours as well. I want you to know that that if we're talking about this very concept of being freed from the bondage of, of slavery to sin, the invitation is for you to have those shackles taken off. And you can have that this morning. Jesus died for you to no longer be in bondage to sin. That's why it's good news. And he wants you, he wants you to follow him. He wants you to be a servant of righteousness that when the time comes, you're no longer viewed as a bondservant. You're viewed as an heir, an adopted son who is heir to the riches of eternal life. Good news, isn't it? And it's offered to you if you're willing to take it. And I pray, brethren, if you've been living in sin, stop. Even if it's in private and no one knows about it, stop. That's not how we who've been freed from sin live. We live freed from such so that we can live and show the world the wisdom and the love of God by walking his ways. But know this. With the blessing of salvation that you've been given, the deliverance from sin, like the Israelites who did not take up that offering that God has given to them, going back into bondage, captivity, right? You likewise will not inherit the kingdom of God if you choose to live in the darkness rather than in the light.